in Romans chapter 13 as we continue our study of this incredible book that helps us to understand so many things about life and our relationship with God. Paul began the book trying to help us understand how we need to respond to God and how he has responded to us. And he uses terms like reconciliation in relationship to our relationship with God, that Jesus provides us with reconciliation, an opportunity to have a relationship with God the Father. And he walks through a variety of other ideas and concepts, and we've, we've got a hold of them and talked about them and shared with them over and over about how redemption affects us, how it causes us to interact with one another, how it causes us to experience the wonder and the power of God. We talked about truth what that is, and transformation, how God transforms us on a regular basis as we respond to Him. And last week, we talked about this concept or idea of what unity is. And we learned that we love good. And that's what we learned last week, so you can get a hold of that if you need to to understand exactly what I said. But we talked about the aspects of love and what goodness is versus evil and what this concept of we is in relationship one to another. So all those ideas we've been walking through, today we're coming on upon a brand new thought, and it's one that Paul has actually led us to. At the end of the last verse, in chapter 12, he speaks to the issue of good versus evil. And he talks to us about the necessity of responding and overcoming evil with good. With that thought in people's minds... He then turns to the issue of authorities, of authorities. How do we respond to the authority of the government that has been set over us? Now, understand how difficult this will be at this present point in time for Christians and Jewish Christians who are dealing with a Roman government that is literally persecuting them who have lost brothers and sisters, who have lost everything they own in terms of property, and they find themselves wanting to follow a general Jewish concept of rebellion. Eh? We all think of Jewish people in relationship to government, we think rebellion. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. No, you take one eye from me, I take two from you. That's kind of the Jewish way. The strong, incredibly powerful people who have continued to hold their ground for thousands and thousands of years. These people who are God's people. Paul responds to them and he says, in relationship to government, I need you to understand this. We need to submit. What on earth can he mean? One of our members sent me this clip that has been put together by a leader in Harvest Business School, very, very well-known man who has won a number of of famous, uh, how can I put it, plaques, whatever you want to refer them as. He's over and over known for his insight, his understanding of business and of government in general. And he has an interesting thing to say. Let's watch it and see what... (laughs) 
We are a people called by God to understand that he is in authority and that all things exist as a result of his creative power. All authority is from, has existed because of, has been created by God. Interesting quote, John Adams, the second president of the U.S. and early vice president, says this, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. All authority is created by God. It's from God. Today, what Paul is going to try to teach us is that we can understand this concept of authority and submission and how it applies to us and how it is presented to us in relationship to who God is and what he has done. Romans chapter 13. Let's read through these first five verses. Just the first five verses of Romans chapter 13. Here we go. Let everyone be subject or submissive to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established, that which God has ordained, that which God has instituted. The authorities that exist have been established, instituted, ordained by God. Consequently, anyone who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but primarily as a matter of conscience. Father, we ask that you'll speak to us today because we are naturally a rebellious people. Lord, my response when I am hindered, when I am stopped, when I am held to accountability is to rebel. There's something that rises up within me and says, how dare you tell me that? And I don't understand it but I recognize it. And we would ask that today you might help us to recognize how we tend to rebel against you when you desire the best for us. Guide us today as we talk about this issue of authority and its purpose in our lives, in the lives of your people, even in countries. And we ask for your guidance because it's a delicate subject. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He's cutting his point across, right? Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. I've also laid out there three different passages. 1 Timothy 2.1, Titus 3.1, 1 Peter chapter 2, in which we see again and again and again the clarification to us that we are to respond to authorities, those whom God sets over us, with a sense of honor and respect and submission. Hmm. See, Paul taught us that If we want to develop unity, then we have to love good. And he closed up with those who persecute you are to overcome evil with good. And that's when he moves into this crucial area of government. Because he recognizes in relationship to Christians and Jews at this point in time, the government is not a friend. He's a foe. It's not positive. It's negative. But he tells them that God has instituted this authority intentionally, that he was the creator of all authority, and that that authority that exists exists because God wants it to be there, and he has an intentional purpose for it. Now, the first thing we need to understand always is that Paul has brought us through these first ten chapters, helping us to understand that our kingdom is no longer of this world. I don't belong to this world. The kingdom of this world has no hold on me. Just like Jesus said. You remember his comment to Pilate? Pilate says, hey, I have authority over you. I have the power to to give you life or give you death. And what does Jesus say? You don't have any authority except that which God gave you. That's the only authority you have. This kingdom is not of my world. If it was, then my people would rise up and stop this. But there's a purpose here that's greater than you, Pilate, that's greater than me, that's greater than anything. And that purpose must be fulfilled. So Jesus submits to the authority. Earlier, when he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane and these soldiers come towards him and they're getting ready to not only grab him, but they're also getting ready to grab the men that are with him, the apostles. And Jesus Raises his hand and they all fall down. Literally, it's like dominoes. You've got to read that section. It's kind of fun. You go, what? And he says, who did you guys come for? And they said, Jesus. He says, okay, then they'll leave everybody else alone. He's warning them. He's warning them. I submit to a purpose that's greater than my life. But... You're not allowed to touch any of these. And so none of them are touched. Not one. You see, God establishes authority for a greater purpose, for a greater intention. And because we recognize that He is God, He is sovereign over all, then we're willing to submit ourselves to the authority that He establishes. And Paul says in most cases, it will turn out in a positive way. In most cases, it will turn out in a positive way. Now, these guys are thinking, 
Paul, it hasn't been real positive. How can you say this has been ordained by God? Look at the evil that's being done. Paul says the evil that's being done in relationship to this government is not being done by God. But God will use this government to bring about a greater good. From Moses to Jesus to Paul. The Bible consistently instructs believers that we need to submit to the authorities that are over us, not to rebel them, to honor the ruler, to obey the government, to support those who are in authority over us. First Peter says, we silence those who would criticize Christianity by our good citizenship. We live in a point in time in which America is seen as no longer a Christian group. And people are criticizing Christians for their lack of appropriate response to the authority that God has placed. We need to take a look at that and ask ourselves, are we submitting to the authority that God has set up? How are we submitting? How are we not? We're to live a righteous and peaceable life so that people can see the truth of God and how he works in those who are called Christians. We as Christians have never been permitted or encouraged at all to storm the castle, to revolt, to kill the officials, to tear down City Hall, to defy the police, to disobey the law. That is not the directive that Jesus gives us. It's contrary to what the Bible teaches us. No matter what form of government, no matter what the style is in which it works, we're called to be involved in, And respond to government authority. And our first response is what my first one was. Well, what if the government's bad? How are we supposed to respond to that? Well, it couldn't get a whole lot worse than the Roman situation here. Christianity is illegal. Nero is in power. Jesus has been crucified. Homosexuality was rampant among the leaders. And Paul says we are to defy the government, right? No, he says we're to submit. And go, Paul, where's Paul writing from? Yeah, he's in jail. Paul, what's wrong with you? The reason he's in jail is because he has defied the government in one way which is the only time we're to disobey the government. And that's if it tells us to do something other than what God has told us to do. He will continue to preach Jesus, clarify the gospel to anyone and everyone who's willing to listen in this story. And in that step, we stand against the government. But that is the only place that we stand against the government. When we are told to disobey God's clear directives, when we're told to disobey God's clear directives, then, then we stand against. If the question is whether I obey God or obey man, then it's an easy answer. But you see, the defiance is one of declaration of the truth of who God is and what Jesus has done. That is why we're able to stand in that area. When government commands us to do what God forbids us, or when government forbids us to do what God commands us to do, then we stand against it. Then we obey God, not men. 
the God of the cosmos desires order in his creation. You see, God has put in the heart of all men and women, maybe more women than men, the need to establish order. Some of you got that now. Yeah. The need to establish order. Some of us got married so that our wife could bring order to our lives. We were in chaos. And she brings in cosmos. Okay? That's where you get makeup from, cosmopolitan. Okay? So this, this is the wonder of putting everything together and making it look great. That's what God does. He says, I want to put it all together. I want to bring order to things. He placed it in our hearts. We desire order. So there's a necessity of governing authority. People work hard at it. There's this irrepressible desire to bring order in society. People, Christians and non-Christians alike, work hard at it. It's in everybody's heart. God has placed it there, this need, this desire for order. Whether you have a personal relationship with God or not, it is still there. So we see so many people involved in politics, in the law profession, in police work, in school structures, because they desire to see order. They desire to see direction, movement in the right direction. They want to see a better government, a better situation. That's built into the fabric of our lives. It's like the divine desire to bring divine order to chaos. That was the creation in the beginning. God took chaos and he turned it into the cosmos. It was the beginning. And it continues on within all those who have been touched by his spirit. You are made in the image of God, and that is part of who you are. Government comes from God. And somehow within the sovereignty of God, it fulfills its purpose, his purpose. Providentially, he works it to his end. Now, I'm not saying that cruel or inhumane or unjust abuses in government are a reflection of God's power or God's nature. What I am saying is that government is ordained by God. It's a principle of the cosmos. You see, God gives us rights and with it responsibilities. Rights without responsibilities develop rebellion. All those R's, right? Rights without responsibility develops rebellion and chaos. But rights with responsibility bring rewards. In fact, when I, when I saw the Bill of Rights, you know, we, we've established the Bill of Rights. All of you know all the Bill of Rights, right? Well, maybe, yeah. Can I quote them? Nah. <laughs> I give you a few of them, right? You have the right to free what? Speech. There, we got that one. Okay, that's good. You have the right to uh, assemble together. Okay, you have a variety of other rights. We can start walking down through that. Now, if you're with a policeman, he can tell you you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> because anything you say can and will be held against you. I think I better be silent. But he's supposed to warn you beforehand that we're going to work this against you. You see, we have certain rights. Whatever happened to the Bill of Responsibilities? I just scratched my head on that. I used to think about it. I said, you know, Lord, you gave us the Bill of Rights. We put that together. We had this wonderful group of men and, and women who determined this and put together this Bill of Rights. But they never did a Bill of Responsibilities. You know why? They assumed you got it. They assumed you got it. There are no rights without responsibilities. Duh. 
That's what they're saying. It's, it's, it's obvious. It's obvious that we have responsibilities with our rights. God ordains marriage, it says. The institution of marriage was ordained by God. But not every marriage is reflective of God's character, is it? No, obviously not. But that doesn't make it any less ordained. The institution itself has incredible opportunity to do great things. And that's what God ordains it to do. Sometimes it fails to do that. You see, God has ordained government for the protection of life and property, for the repression of evil and crime, and for the rewarding of virtue and good. There's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. We're to submit to governing authorities because government's designed by God, and if you resist it, you're usually, I found in my case, I've got to be truthful, every single time I was resisting God. I was resisting God. And those who have opposed it will receive judgment on themselves or condemnation. It's definely decreed. It's not just determined by our government. God has said, I'm going to ensure that you are punished if you do this. If you resist, you're resisting God. And those who resist can be punished. God gives authority to governments to punish those who resist. There's a consequence to rebellion. Essentially, the Greek word here is krima, which simply means it's the idea of, of judging or judgment or put something into play. Um, God has set a standard, and he's ordained that if you don't fulfill that standard, then you're going to be punished by the violence. You know, you know so law is always the minimum standard. If you got that. Law is always the minimum standard. Here's the minimum. It's never the maximum. So if you go over 70 miles an hour, you are what? Breaking the law. Yeah, maybe 65. I think of it as 70 because I think five miles an hour we should be able to. Right? How many of you think that way? What we really think is, I don't think they'll pull me over till I do 72. I hope I'm right. I hope I'm right. You see, but it's a minimum standard. Laws are always a minimum standard. You shall not do this. But law never says, you shall love in this way. And that's the cry of the Christian, is we're not to obey the law. That's not enough. That's not enough. Pray for those who persecute you, but that's not enough. Do good to those who persecute you. Lord, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's the remarkable calling. You see, punishment was to bring about justice, to act as a deterrent. It was to function as a part of rehabilitation, to act as a corrective, to be a prevention for private vengeance. I'll get back at him. I'll get back at her. They broke the law. No, no, no. We've set up a structure, a government who's responsible to take care of that. It's not yours to take vengeance. It's God's. God determines that. When and how. And how he determines it, you are to be comfortable with. Recognizing that he knows more than you do. And he has a purpose, an intention, a desire involved here. 
See, any punishment enacted by society on an evildoer should be looked on as a punishment from whom? From God. From God. And that's why you can say that police, police are called in this section, ministers of who? Yeah, God. Instruments of God. Ministers of God. Human authority punishes violators and God approves this because this violation is against his declaration of what is just and what is right. So the instrument of punishment is human, but the source of right and wrong is divine. Now, when this punishment principle breaks down and evil goes unpunished, you have what we call, you know what it is? Chaos. Yeah. Some people get chaos. Oh, man, we have riots. It's a mess. No one's protected. Everybody is harmed without any sense of who you are or what you are. You're just pushed out of the way. Products are taken. You've seen the riots and what takes place. Now, with that encouragement statement, that encouraging statement to you all, I've asked Rich Rapoli to come up. Rich, why don't you come up now? Rich Rapoli was, is a retired, unfortunately, he's retired deputy chief of the Los Angeles Police Department. So, Rich, why don't you give Rich a hand as he comes up? Come on. Let's see if we can get this thing to work here. It's got a red light on, so I don't think it's going to. See if we can. Yeah. Okay. It, it's working. Good stuff. Good so stuff. I, I got Rich up here because he is a man that I both respect and has been in positions of extreme authority that were very, very difficult. And I've watched him struggle with how to respond to different situations appropriately. As a man of God, first and foremost, and secondly, as one who was appointed by God, as a minister in the area of policing, he found himself being brought up and up and up until he was in a position of extreme authority with the Los Angeles Police Department. And I'm in extreme authority. We're talking, how many men were you running then, Rich? Uh, one time, 1,200. Is this on? Can you hear me? It's on. You're good. And when I, when I uh, got reassigned to uh, another uh, bureau, uh, 600. Yeah. So we're talking about a large group of men who are responsible to provide authority for a huge group of people. These are policemen and policewomen, people in a position to cause you a lot of harm. Hey, isn't that the truth? Yeah, it's, it's, you guys talked earlier about what happens when someone pulls you over and the policeman pulls you over. Rarely do we give them a special gift. Maybe viewed wrongly if we did anyway, so you've got to be careful there. But rarely do we say, oh, thank you so much, officer, for pulling me over. We appreciate that, what you've done. You may have saved a life because you stopped me from doing something wrong. Thank you. My wife actually responded to a police officer in Bakersfield that way. I still remember it because she came to talk to me afterwards. She had her 
daughter in the car and she was driving. She was going too fast in the school zone. She was pulled over. And Bakersfield was a ministry I was involved in where we were heavily, heavily involved in ministering to police. So we had a banquet and we knew all the policemen and all the policemen knew us. So while she was telling my daughter, now, honey, I did wrong. I, sh- I, I was going too fast. I realized that this policeman was kind enough to pull me over. Can you believe this? Only my wife would do this. And he, she's explaining so that your daughter wouldn't be scared. Hey, this is what happened. She said, he's going to give me a ticket, and it's only right to do that so that I will learn to make sure I do the right thing from now on. And he turns and looks at her, and he says, I remember, he said, aren't you Pastor Lee's wife? <laughs> she's thinking, oh, no. And he says, oh, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm just going to give you a warning. A very long warning, but a warning. And he began to talk and share with her about the need. And she said, yes, yes, officer. He said, okay, but it was so good to see you again. I'm going to talk to all the guys down at the station. (laughs) You're getting the idea. When we talk about this issue of police, it's a difficult area. It's, It's one that we struggle with because we're not sure exactly how to respond to them. Uh, So I asked Rich to give us a couple answers to a few questions. One is, why do we need the police? Well, I think think that's obvious. If if we didn't have the police protecting the communities, and that's their job, and if you ask any any new cop, why did you you hire on? First thing they're going to say is, I want to help people. That's that's the bottom. That's about a 90% answer. But if we didn't have law and order in the communities, you'd have absolutely anarchy. And we've seen that in some of the cities uh, across the country now where it's near anarchy and Baltimore is one and, and I'm not going to I know for the just for time I'm not going to go into my opinion on it but if you're interested I'll be more than happy to talk to you after church about <laughs> it <laughs> he'll be meeting over here on the right side you know those who want to share it's very interesting it's always good to talk to Rich I'm constantly trying to get things out of him say okay how what do you think about this Rich well I don't yeah go ahead tell me tell me what do you think why is that going on? What were some of the biggest problems that you had with people submitting to police authority? Um, I, I don't want to say it was problems. I think to be general about it, 90% of the population are law-abiding citizens. Hmm. I know the, the police departments, LAPD, one time they did these concentric circles. And they talked about location, overlap, crime, overlap with suspect. And it all falls right in the center of 10%. You have those 10 percenters that they're not going to follow the rules. They're not going to obey the laws. And those are the ones that, that you deal with, and those are the ones that cause your biggest problems. Good stuff. Okay, what about police? Because this is what we're all thinking of. How did you deal with the police who were unwilling to submit to your authority, misuse that authority that you gave them? Some well, of you are saying, hold it. You're saying, what was that question? Yeah, no, and, and that, that is right. One, you, a lot of them do get fired. But um, police officers all come from society. They, they come from the communities that we live in. And, and I can talk with California especially, Los Angeles uh, um, distinctly has extreme testing processes. For every 100 people that apply, maybe 20 get hired. Uh, it's very, very rigorous. And they tra- try with, whether it's physical tests, written tests, oral interviews, psych, uh, psychology testing, to, to weed out those that aren't going to fit. And every once in a while, uh, 
that one that doesn't fit gets through. And those are ones that managers deal with all the time. Personnel issues take up most of your time when you start going up, up the ladder. Those are the ones that you deal with. And um, uh, you start at the bottom, depending on what the misconduct was, counseling, retraining, up to termination. And, and that happens. The unfortunate thing is, um, I think in today's society and media, you don't hear about all the good things that they're doing. You hear about the bad things in an instant. You don't hear about the police that just found some little 10-year-old autistic boy uh, that's been missing for two days uh, or some of the other things that, that they do on a daily basis. It's, just, it's not newsworthy, so it doesn't get reported. But the first time something goes sideways, it's, it's national news. So, but, but that's the way they try to weed them out. At one time, I worked uh, as a captain uh, our internal affairs. I never wanted to work that as a sergeant because I, I didn't want to be disappointed in some of the things I'd be investigating. But then as a captain, I saw the whole city uh, and the things that were uh, that some, some of these guys and ladies uh, were doing. And many times, serious stuff, they're done. They get fired. Life is ruined. So, wow. Uh, probably the last thing, and that would be this. Uh, how do you think God used you the most and your position of, of deputy chief. <clears throat> Lee uh, shared some of these questions with me uh, the other day when our prayer deal on Wednesday goes, hey, listen, I'm going to call you up, ask some questions about police. I and said, he okay, prays the... every Wednesday morning. Rich is one of my most faithful men. Every Wednesday morning he's praying for you all. If you put a request in, he's praying for you consistently and regularly. And he's done it even when he was on the police force. He would show up for prayer Sometimes he had to leave because of an emergency, but he was always there. So I said, okay, what are the questions? And, and this last one is the one that, that he talked to me about. And initially when I looked at it, I thought, man, you know what, God, he hasn't really used me. You know, yeah. but the more I thought about it, um, just like he opened my mind. And it wasn't just as a deputy chief. It, it went back as, as a police officer. And believe me, I, I'm not on an evangelical crusader running around trying to, to save police officers or community members, that's not me. But God has put me in positions uh, that it was obvious that he wanted me to say or do something or just at the right time throughout my career. We have, we have time? Yes, you're good. Keep going. Um, as a police officer, I'll, I'll never forget, 102nd in Avalon, uh, South L.A., Thanksgiving Day ready to go in to watch, ambulance shooting, it was my area, we respond, 18-year-old gang member shot in the back of the head and took him to the hospital, and on busy weekends and holidays, those emergency rooms are packed. You may lay somewhere for a little while until they can get you in. My partner was with uh, doing whatever he was doing, paperwork, and I was with this kid, and, and I remember his name was Ricky, never forgot it, and uh, and it was like God saying, he's going to die. And I, I, I leaned down, and I said, Ricky, and he barely opened his eyes. And I knew I had to get his attention. I said, Ricky, you're going to die. And every time I said that, his eyes got this big. And I told him, I said, you're going to die. Where are you going to go? And he couldn't talk. But I talked to him about, about Jesus, and I said, if you believe. And I went through the sinner's prayer with him, and I told him, I said, if you can hear me, I said, blink. And he had you know, do one of those. And God used me in that, in that particular situation. Uh, 
As a captain, I had an officer whose little couple-month-old uh, son had some debilitating disease, and they thought he was going to die. And I, and I took Joyce, my wife, and we drove down to Riverside. Uh, that's where his son was. And he and his wife were down there and uh, walked in just to be supportive because that's what a good captain does. And, um, and we're talking about his son, and the parents were broken. And Joyce says, Richard, why don't you pray for them? And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, we don't do that. Come on. You know, just, yeah. And I said, I kind of looked at her like, oh, my gosh. And I said, okay. We all held hands. We prayed. Seventeen years later, this guy just emailed me. This little boy now is 17 years old, doing great. And whenever I would see him in between that time, he would always tell me, I remember when you came down and, and you prayed for me. Randy Simmons, <clears throat> SWAT officer, LAPD, uh, shot and killed uh, a few years back. Some of you may remember I, I talked about him. Uh, Rock-solid Christian guy. I heard him at a funeral preach, and I went up to him later. I said, you should be a pastor. He goes, oh, no, chief. He goes, I, I just want to be a SWAT cop. I, I, I want to be a pastor. But he had a heart for God. He had a heart for kids. And when he was killed, he was at the hospital. His wife was broken. And, and what do you say? Oh, I'm so sorry your husband was killed. Uh, I remember hugging her, and I told her, I said, you know, Randy was a rock-solid Christian. I just remember what the Bible says, absent the, Lord, absent the body, present with the Lord. He's with Jesus right now in heaven. She never forgot that. And uh, uh, whenever I'd see her after that, she said, you know, I remember you telling me. I thought she would be in shock, but she remembered it sunk into her head. And that was God. And the last one I'll share with you, I had an officer who was uh, dying of colon cancer. And he was an air support pilot. And I went and visited him in the hospital. And he had one of his pilot buddies there. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you bring up God by, you know, in, in these critical situations, whether a guy's going through divorce, he lost a child, something ugly. Uh, hey, do you have a church you can go to? That was kind of my way in. And, and they'd start talking, and then you're able to minister to him. And uh, uh, I asked him that in front of his, his pilot pal. I said, uh, uh, I said, do you have a church or a pastor? And he goes, no. He goes, I, I really don't. And this, this guy says, hey, he goes, I have one. He's at Hoke. He goes, I have one. It's in Huntington Beach. He goes, our pastor's great. And I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, it's a good thing. And, and so I said, Frank, where's your church? And he goes, oh, it's right over here. It was a Jehovah Witness church. And I'm thinking, oh, man, not good. He, he wa- this guy, his friend, walks out of the room, and God's saying, you better say something. Just like that. You better say something to him. And I told him, I said, hey, I said, you know, I said, I don't know what you believe. I said, but Jehovah Witness, that's not the way to go. Here's what you want to do. And I said, I can hook you up with a pastor. And he goes, oh, would you do that? Okay. I did. He ended up accepting the Lord, and yeah, he passed away. But that's, you know, and I could go on and on and on with different things that, that God has put me in situations, um, whether it's community people, police officers, right place, right time. I'm sure it was his design to, to have me there uh, to say something that he orchestrated. And, and it's not just, you know, police. I mean, that's anybody. If you're open to it, uh, God will use you. All right. Let's give him a hand. Thanks, Rick. All authority 
is instituted, is ordained by God. And it's given for service. You see, the problem that we have is we misunderstand that authority we think is given to us so that we might have more power and might be seen as something special. But Jesus tells us over and over and over again, authority is given to us so that we might serve those whom God allows us to serve. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Do what is right. You'll be commended. The one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. It's necessary for us to submit to the authorities not just because of possible punishment, but primarily as a matter of conscience. You see, government exists to promote good and to restrain evil. If you want to have no fear, if you don't want to be looking in your rearview mirror hoping that there's no policeman coming up quickly while you're doing 85 miles an hour on the freeway, slow down. Slow down. And you will have no fear. In fact, you will laugh as it goes by you to get the other guy. And you go, oh, I know he's going after it again. I watched that guy go flying by me just a minute ago. You'll have no fear if you're responding correctly. Do what is right, and the authorities will thank you. But a misuse of authority comes from a lack of submission. Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. You're to use authority correctly. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Did you hear Rich talking? Did you hear the cry of a servant? I hope you did because that's what impresses me about Rich so much as I interact with him. He's a servant. He gets put in positions of authority and he recognizes an opportunity to serve those who are under him. To pray for them, to care for them, to direct them, to guide them, to help them. And that's our calling when we're put in positions of authority. God has set up government to restrain evil, but he's also set it up to help us understand a proper use of authority. It exists to promote good. And a lack of submission is where misuse comes from. Jesus said in relationship to authority... At that point in time, the Roman soldiers could go up to anybody who was there and say, you have to carry my pack for at least one mile. You weren't allowed to do any more than that, but he could make you carry his pack for one mile. And Jesus responds to this. He says, if one of these soldiers come to you and says, carry my pack for a mile, do it for two. Do it for two. In the process of submitting to this authority... Be like Paul and begin to bring people to Christ as they're chained next to him and he continues to tell them about who Jesus is and what he has done. And sometimes it takes two miles to do that. So you keep carrying the pack and you share with them what God has done in your life. He says, don't turn away from those who want to borrow from you. Give to them who are in need. Submit to them because you believe that God has put these people in position of authority for a greater purpose. Let me um, close with this thought here. 
rights and responsibilities, rights and responsibilities are given to us so that we can gain rewards. You have rights and responsibilities, and when you follow those, you will gain reward. When you don't, you will gain a sense of shame, and your conscience will speak to you in negative ways. I was in Bakersfield. I told you about my wife. Well, as I said, I knew the police force very, very well. And I remember I was going somewhere. I think it was a Sunday afternoon. And I went to the store and got something. And I came out. And I don't know what got over me. But I started flying down. The, I, some, there had to be a good reason, I'm sure, that I was going too fast. But I was flying down the road way too fast. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was the friendly policeman pulling me over. And I pulled over, and I thought, Lord, I'm, I can't afford this ticket. I've blown it. I can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. Please help me. Please help me. And the policeman came and looked at me, and he said, and he looked again, and then he looked again, and he said, Aren't you Pastor Lee? And I thought, oh, no. He said, you're Pastor Lee. You're the, one of the pastors at Bakersfield. You're, you're over at, at that church, Laura Glenn Bible Church. I'm, yeah. Yep, that's me. You were speeding. He said, aren't you a man of God? He was a black gentleman. And boy, he knew the scriptures. And he began to teach me. For five minutes, he walked through how a man of faith would not fail. I'm going, oh my God, you're killing me, man. You're killing me. Just give me a ticket. (laughs) Went on and on and on. And he turns to me and he says, I can't give a ticket to a pastor, so I'm not going to give you one. He said, but I'm going to pray for you. And he walked away. Folks, that was 30 years ago. 33 years ago, to be exact. And I remember it to this day because I was so humiliated And my conscience was so grabbed because I had failed to submit to the authority that God had set up in a simple manner, in this case, of choosing to speed. And in the process, I gave God a bad name. Because you see, I'm a pastor. And I'm held to a higher standard. And boy, was I reminded. And I've never speeded. That's not true. (laughs) But I sure have slowed down. Boy, have I slowed down. And when the policeman pulls me over, and it hasn't happened in a long time, but I am so apologetic, and I'm telling them, I am sorry, I was wrong. And when they ask me how fast I was going, I tell them exactly how fast I was going. Or how I made that turn and why I did it. And then they give me the ticket anyway. God has ordained authority. 
He created it. He puts it together and he says, I want you to respond to government so that we'll bring about good in your life and so you will have a witness that says Christians follow God's directive. That is what I encourage you to follow. Say, we love good and we submit to the authority that God has placed over us. And when you do this, not only will your conscience be beaming with light and joy and excitement, but the government officials will talk about your church with expletives of thankfulness as opposed to expletives that are other than that. Yes, our team to come down as we close up. Father, thank you for this chance today to spend thinking about what it means to submit to authority. I thank you for Rich for his willingness to be involved in submitting to your direction in the area of police. Thank you for men like him, for women like him, who choose to establish their faith in a place that can often be difficult. Thank you for all those who hold us accountable, Lord, and remind us that we have rights, but we also have responsibilities. Help us to submit to those as we submit to you. And we'll give you thanks as you do it. Guide us today, even as, as we take this offering, Lord, we're going to take simply reminding us that you have given us everything, that you reign in all areas. Putting us in a place where we begin to declare, this is what I believe, and because of that, this is how I act. So continue your blessing in our life as we yield to your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.